Welcome to Let's Talk Canine Fitness with your hosts, Katerina Mattioli and Dr. Leslie I. Join us for the monthly podcast on all things dog fitness. Young, old, overweight, or athletic, our passion for canine fitness has you covered. Welcome to Let's Talk Canine Fitness mini-sode. Hi, Katerina. Hi, Leslie. How are you doing? I'm good. How about yourself? I'm doing fine. Awesome today. A little bit tired, yeah. maybe, but... It's been a, a busy May for both of us. Yeah, very true. And I don't see that it is. Uh, it will be easier in... June and July, so. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess you... being busy is good, right? Uh, I, I'm not complaining uh, because I, I really like what I'm doing. And so there is, um, yeah, we have a lot of projects going on. So never complain when the train is moving. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Well, today we've got a few questions from our patrons that we're really excited about. Um, so let's go ahead and dive in and get started with the first patron question. Okay, so we have Brittany Haywood asking, what is appropriate exercise and length of time for exercise for large breed puppies? Uh, Danes, Mastiffs, etc. How do you help clients understand? Um, I really enjoyed listening to the equipment episode and love the idea of letting them be on the equipment, but I'm thinking more for the you must walk your pup several amount of minutes each day. Thank you. You want to start, Leslie? <coughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think, I mean, I think we've pretty much said like we're both of us, neither of us are, yes. are formula people. We, we don't like the, the five minutes per month of age or whatever it is. Um, I think it's very specific to each dog. Um, and so I do think maybe the difference with these large breed dogs is, when they're younger, you know, three, four months old, they're maybe a bit more uncoordinated and therefore it's a little harder for them to walk. Maybe they get tired a little, a little sooner. So Brittany, what I would really do rather than give these people a time, an amount of time is I would sit down with them and really talk about looking for signs of fatigue. And what it might be is, at first, you just tell them to, you know, go out in the back garden with the puppy and observe the puppy and see, like, when the puppy runs around, what do they do when they start to get tired? Do they go out and seek shade? Do they just come back to the owner? How much are they panting? You know, try and look at all these signs and then use that to appropriately determine a length of time for a walk. You can also, you know, potentially go um, 
to like I don't know what you would call them like a play date with another puppy um, or you know something or, or like in puppy class like have the owner really watch and like make note of signs of fatigue what does the puppy do um, when it gets tired does it disengage from the other puppies does it get snarky like so for my puppy Raya, it was really obvious when she was getting tired on the walk because she suddenly got more snarky with the adult dogs. So what she would do is she would run ahead, lay down like she was hiding in the grass, wait till we got closer and then like run and attack the adult dogs, like, you know, jump on them. And it looks like really cute play and we would laugh and everything. But what we realized is that was a sign of her being tired. So, and you know, she wasn't the type of puppy to just go seek out shade and lay down. But what she was doing was she was getting ahead so she could lay down. And then like a toddler who's just had too much, she was kind of acting out. Um, and she wouldn't do that at the beginning of the walk. So it was very clearly a sign of her being tired. And we'd be like, okay, walk is done let's go back home. And very quickly, um, we built time and distance. So, you know, we started out with probably around an hour between three and four months old. And, you know, by five months old, we were up easily to two hours. And now we can pretty much at seven months old go Anytime we can get, you know, we're not, we're not really don't have, we really don't have enough time to get more than three hours. So it's not like we're going for like big, huge, long walks, but if we have the time to do like a three hour hike, she can handle it. So, um, I, I do think large breed dogs are maybe a little slower to develop just cause they seem really uncoordinated. And so, <laughs> that's going to take a little bit longer for them to figure out their body, but they can still do walks and the walks can progressively get longer. I don't know. What do you think, Katerina? Yeah, I completely agree. What I would like to add is um, I think a lot of people like want a, a textbook where it's written. They want a rule they can follow, but this is very we are working with individuals and so it, it is individual and it, and it it changes every day because they are not every dog is the same every day and we have to to teach the owner how to read their dog this is the for me the most important part you have to see if the, they have to see if their dog is t getting tired and 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 they are not not every dog is showing it the same way as you said it, it is very different like it is in kids so we have to learn we have to teach them to how to read their dog and then to adopt their activities so for my own dogs i have a small breed i prefer in the first month to do mental mental work and um and physical work in the studio and uh, we don't do long walks um so we when long we, we the longer walks we, we do later when they are older because they are they are small and it's not it's not useful we just we just uh, teach them everything that they are pre prepared to do the long walks um, when they are older and yeah and it, it it depends on the breed 
as you said, larger breeds, they develop slower. So, but it is individual and we have to, we have to work with individuals and adapt our activities to that. Yeah. And I was just going to say, based on what you said, like if we get more specific into our recommendations, I guess what I would say is based on what most people with puppies want to do who see me, we spend time, some time on leash. It's typically short, but it's, that's mostly, it's truly leash training more than actually getting a walk or physical exercise. So like we'll do a lot of, um, multiple times throughout the day, the puppy goes on leash and we do like a short little, like that's where we might do like a five minute walk because we just need to need to be working with the, the puppy on leash and start to teach them what a leash is and how it means basically stay close to me. Um, because these dogs are pretty much going to be on a leash at later on in life. And it's going to be important that they have, you know, good leash manners, but most of their exercise, again, the puppies that I work is going to be more free choice type exercise, either someplace where they can be safe off leash or where they can be on like a long line. So again, we're observing the puppy, um, we're giving them freedom and then teaching the owner how to observe what they're seeing. Signs of, yep, they're happy, they're still, they're good versus signs of fatigue, they're getting tired, we shouldn't push it anymore. I don't think we're going to go... I, I, I'm going to say, I don't think we're going to go a single episode without talking about puppies. Yeah, it is. It is. I love to talk about puppies. It's so, they are yeah. so cute and it's, it's very interesting and it's very important that you, that you do the groundwork. So, yeah. yeah, that is, yeah. So next question. Next question. Next question is from Bridget. How common are primary iliopsoas injuries? I have heard from some people that they occur frequently in agility competitors, but from some orthopedic specialists that they are usually a secondary injury to something underlying, like uh, like hip dysplasia. <laughs> so hot topic number two. <laughs> Yay! Um, so. Bridget, I really, it does, it does kind of depend which camp you're in. There, there very much is a split, I would say, on how common primary iliopsoas injuries are. Um, I am in the camp where I think most um, are not primary. I think most are secondary or some kind of compensation. Um, I call the iliopsoas muscle the great compensator because if there is something off, especially in the lower back, in the hips, in the um, knees, the iliopsoas really works overtime to help protect those joints. And so it can get very sore and very tight and very overworked. And so then when you go in to examine it, the dog does react. The other thing I would say about that is, um, (laughs) I always joke, I could make 
any dog react to iliozoas palpation. So it's very, um, you have to be a little bit careful about like over interpreting what, what your, what kind of reaction you're getting, because, you know, we know from, even from people, like if you've ever <laughs> had your iliopsoas palpated, it is not comfortable. Um, we can just kind of describe better what we're feeling rather than just screaming. Um, but dogs, sometimes I think there's nothing wrong with it, but because of where you're going, where you're palpating, they're like, whoa, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you going there? Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, I'm one of those um, clinicians who anytime I got referred a dog with an iliopsoas injury, um, I basically was like, I'm, I'm working the dog up head to toe before I agree with that <laughs> diagnosis and start to treat it. Um, and oftentimes we did find something else, um, whether it be lower back, like lumbosacral disease, a hip issue, a knee issue. Um, but very, very commonly there was something else going on that was causing the iliopsoas to be sore. And what was interesting to me is a lot of times with these um, iliopsoas dogs, when we would actually ultrasound the iliopsoas, it looked perfectly normal, perfectly healthy. Um, I'd say more often than not, in my hands on ultrasound, we never found anything going on with the iliopsoas. Um, but those same dogs, like on palpation, would be sore or uncomfortable. So I, yeah, I don't think, I don't think primary is a super high percentage. I will say it is more common of an injury in your sporting dogs. So the first place it was ever recognized was actually hunting dogs. Um, that's how I learned about it in vet school. Um, was that it was only a problem for hunting dogs. Um, and then I think it started to crop up in other sports because, you know, we were struggling to figure out what was going on. And so Iliosoas started being higher and higher on the list. Yeah, I've, I, I don't, don't have a lot to... I, I'm in the same camp as you are, Leslie. Um, I think there in in my clients i can i i often see it, they come in completely healthy cleared and everything is okay and i i am very soft with my hands so when i palpate the dog so i i don't uh, cause uh, i don't think that it's my my palpation that causes the problem with the iliopsoas so i can I can see in a lot of small dogs that there are, uh, or pet dogs that there are a lot of prob problems with the iliopsoas, but I wouldn't say it is a primary problem. So, and often the owners don't want to go on because they don't think it's a major problem. So they, it's a major issue. So they don't want to follow. They, they want, don't want to follow. So, um, I don't. I not often have the chance to check where is the primary problem. Yeah. Um. But yeah. But I think there it it is problems. 
not injury. I, I wouldn't say injuries. I just say I would say problems are more common than we might think. But I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't say it's a. It's it's an injury. It's a problem that is uh, coming as a secondary from a, from a primary uh, from something different. But yeah, these these yeah. pet pets never most likely don't get the chance to. They are not um, hurting enough that people want to follow. And, and know what what it causes so yeah and I'm gonna add one more thing <laughs> one more opinion um if you if your dog has been diagnosed with an iliopsoas injury and you are not getting improvement I would say even within like two months three months maximum, go out and seek a different diagnosis. Um, because I think that's, that this is one of the reasons why I so strongly believe it's not usually a primary injury is because we hear all these stories about like, oh, I've been dealing with an iliopsoas injury Forever. for a year. And I'm like, it shouldn't take that long. It shouldn't take that long to have this, um, get better. But if there is an injury somewhere else that's not being addressed, yeah, then it's going to continue forever and ever and ever. And so, and I'm just going to throw out, I think the number one thing that's missed because it's fairly easy to look at the hips and look at the knees. So usually what's missed in these chronic iliopsoas cases is lumbosacral disease. So I would say go out there and get that spine checked. Exactly. I, 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 I didn't mention the breeds that are often affected in my studio. So. <laughs> <laughs> no breed bashing. But uh, everyone can guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, okay. let's do the next question. <laughs> Okay, this is the next question from uh, Brittany. Uh, how do you teach sidestepping? I understand and know you use pressure, but what do you do to teach it? So, Brittany, difficult question so for ways. a podcast. <laughs> yeah, so many ways you can teach it. I kind of hope you're um, a fit watcher at least because. Definitely with this question, I was like, oh, we should film ourselves teaching it to a dog and we can post it on the Patreon page. Um, I use a couple different methods depending on, one, how the dog is responding to pressure. You know, if the dog is very pressure sensitive, then I don't want to use that method. Um, but two, it's also how quickly I need the behavior. So if I need the behavior like right away, like say I've got someone, um, you know, post-op or, you know, post-injury and it's part of the rehab program, I will use a luring slash pressure method where, you know, I put something, a lure in front of the dog's nose 
I stand on the side and I just walk into them. And, and usually the pressure isn't too bad because they're actually following the lure. So as I take a step, the lure also moves away from me. So then the dog moves away from me and we can get sidestepping. For actual like teaching it for fitness conditioning, I use more of a targeting method. Um, so for me, for fitness, all my dogs, all my my clients learn that the reinforcement zone is in front of me. So the dog is facing me. So therefore, if I step to the side, they should step to the side to line up in front of me. Now, oftentimes we get dogs that go crooked when you do that. So I step to the side, only their front moves to the side and the back leg lags behind. So we're not really getting a side step. So instead, that's where I pull in platforms. And I think um, if you've got two platforms next to each other, that can help the dog understand that both the front and the back need to move um, together to get to the other platform. So again, visualize this. You're standing in front of one platform. The dog is on the platform facing you. You step over in front of the other platform, and then the dog has to step over to that platform to again line up in front of you. And they you play with the distance to get that like nice side step over. Um, a third method is teaching starting with just targeting. So teaching the dog how to target their right side to something versus their left side to something and then back chaining. So similar to how I teach backup where I start with just the front, right, front, front, right, rear, right on the platform, have them step off the platform, but they're still right next to it and wait for them to then go target it with those, those, the front, right, and rear, right again. So that's three different ways that you can work on teaching it. Um, obviously the, the targeting and kind of like the platform to platform methods do take a little bit longer, but they're great for, um, teaching the dog, like having the dog understand body awareness and the movement. But when I'm in the thick of things and I need the, the behavior right away, I use the luring and pressure method. Do you do anything different, Katarina? Yeah, no, I do it right the same. I don't use as much the targeting method, but I have a method in between the one, uh, the the pressure and the platform. Uh, and I use uh, like a hybrid form of those two. I use the sensi mats instead of the platforms. And I stand in front of the dog. And then I, I do a special, um, I step um, uh, to the side, to the, in front of the other sentiment um, as well and do a special move with hips and shoulders uh, that is a, a light pressure on the on the dog but uh, but lets every dog moving to the stepping to the side so it's like it's not as much pressure and uh, like when you come from the side from the side directly because you're in front but it's but your your movement is is letting them step 
to the side. So this is like a, this hybrid method yeah. uh, in between use. But it's very difficult to to explain. Uh, a video will be uh, more effective, I'd say, because it's um, yeah, it's it's working working very good because yeah, my I have um, good response in my classes of of this hybrid method because uh, here it is. Um, Sometimes people are a bit, um, they, they don't love when there is too much body pressure. Yeah. So sometimes we have to be a little bit um, careful. And then this is why I thought this hybrid method is working. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and we'll, we'll work on getting videos for the the patron yeah. page. <laughs> so, so we, we will have we will find the time in between yeah. of everything. <coughs> so last question for today. Are you ready? Yeah. Yes, I'm okay, ready. So Sabina is asking, could you talk a bit about structure gate analysis? I find myself often struggling to differentiate between this dog is lame, uncomfortable, offloading a leg, and this dog is perfectly sound, but because it has a short, tumorous, flat pelvis, not well laid back shoulder, it just moves the way it does. Uh, it may look different, but he is fine. So, for example, I own and love a golden retriever, and since I see her every day, my eyes seem to be tuned to her gait. Whenever I see a German Shepherd, they all look super lame to me. Uh, I don't know if it's even possible to talk about gait analysis in, pod in a podcast format. Probably not. But maybe you can post some resources over on Patreon. Or maybe you two could teach a course about it. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well... Not a <laughs> first I have to say I feel you um I've had the same thing happen to me where before I had border collies but I was very into agility which you know as you know the agility world is dominated by border collies and I would sit at trials and competitions and practice and I would watch border collies move and I would be like they all move so wrong. They just, they don't look right. And what's funny is now that I've kind of switched and have more border collies, I'm like, no, that's normal. And anything that doesn't look like a border collie is weird. So I hear you with like, there's definitely this issue, like structure causes, dogs are going to move different with different structure. Like that's just the way it is. And I think again, you know, this kind of goes back to question one, where we want this textbook cookie cutter, all dogs should move this way. And if they don't move this way, it's wrong or they're broken. And I just, it's not the case. And so that's where a lot of times I think you have to look for either changes or put your hands on them. So one of the things that I always do is, is, you know, when, when people come to me and they're like, watch this video, I think he's moving weird. I want to, I want video from a year ago or two years ago. I'm like, show me past videos so we can see if there's been a change. Um, because a lot of times if they've always moved like that, that's just them. That's their structure. And you can analyze their structure and, and see that. 
Um, but then also, like I said, putting, putting hands on them, I think is really, um, another important aspect of figuring out, is there actually something wrong causing them to move this way? Or is this again, just, just the way they move due to their structure? What do you think, Katerina? Yeah, I think uh, just when I do it, for me, it's just, um, I think every, if, if you want to, uh, to do gate or structure analysis, it's it's important to to really know the structure and how it should work together. Uh, together, and so I I what I do when my when when I have clients, I just uh, look at the dogs. I do a structural analysis. How are the angles? What do how do I expect? them to move because of this of the structure they have and then I compare um, my inner image I have of their movement with the actual movement they have if this is if this is uh, quite similar and uh, uh, I do a stand analysis on a, on a stand analyzer as well uh, and uh, yeah I think that's that's important and it, it, it's important to know the dog this is why we do pictures of, of of normal posture of the dog so how is the dog standing when it, it is healthy and um, it, does this change and then does the gait change it i ask my clients is it always like this has it always been like this or is it recently or for a longer time now? So I think it's uh, it's important, but we need records. So I recommend everyone with their pets to take rec records. It's so easy with our mobile phones to take videos and to, to take pictures. So it's way easier than it was um, years before before uh, smartphones existed. So, um, and, and it's different to see our dogs on pictures and videos uh, than to have them in front of us so it's it's like um, yeah we all love our dogs you want them to be healthy and to move good so it's not um, we are more objective when we have pictures and videos and see and, and can see into the changes um, yeah yeah and I I'd say also think about like what the dog was bred for because that's also going to affect how they might move in certain yeah. circumstances. So again, I think with border collies more and more and more as some breeders are really focusing on speed um, and a lot of times speed in a straight line, we get these dogs with angulated structures that they can't walk like they physically like they try to walk and it's like the ugliest the game out there. <laughs> um but it is it's still normal like it's not it's not that there's an injury or a problem it's just that they have been bred for speed and in order to get speed the yeah, yeah or when you look at, at side towns angle sighthounds have compared to a companion dog it's different right. so that therefore the movement has to be different because yeah. the, the, there are different lengths of strides etc so this is uh something we have to but we we just can um yeah we have to look at so many dogs to 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 get an eye for this it's um 
And I think not everyone is born to do gate analysis. You have, it's just some, some people have it and others don't. You, it's something you can't learn till, yeah. till to a certain point. Yes, but it is something you have in you to do it or not i think it's uh, yeah. yeah it's like a talent a talent you have <laughs> so and i would like to mention yeah. yes that's what i was just gonna say i was gonna say you have yeah, something I, to talk about <laughs> exactly i would like i would like to share something and maybe this is very interesting for sabine as well because i know she's from germany and i would like to talk about uh German study project that actually is just starting. So everyone um, who is a breeder or puppy owner with a young puppy from Germany, please listen and please, please um, contact uh, the team who is doing this study. It is um, about uh, development of gates from puppy to a mature dog. Um, so they are actually uh, taking measurements uh, on the Canid Gate um, treadmill. And it's a very interesting project uh, that will help uh, everyone to understand. And, and they do it with a, with a lot of different breeds. So uh, I'm very excited about this project and I'm happy that uh, one who is participating there uh, told me about it yesterday so I, I uh, can re talk about it here now because it's, it's really great. It's, uh, um, yeah, I, we actually, there are two... Uh, we will actually post the link to this uh, study and the video uh, and the link to a video on uh, the notes of our podcast. And then there, uh, for those who are interested in the gate analysis of the Canid gate treadmill, um, we will po also post a link to a webinar that was held. I think it was one or two weeks ago. Uh, it is uh, in German and one in English. So two different links. We will post them too. So you can learn more about these uh, very special treadmills um, yeah and get more info about it awesome that's super super exciting love it yeah and please love please it. if you have the chance to participate they are they are located all over I think it's about four or five places where they are located in all over Germany so everyone should be able to to go to one of of those of those uh, to one of those clinics, uh, it would be great to have uh, a huge uh, range of different dogs. Yeah, and so definitely. we know we know more how how does movement develop from puppy. I think they start with ten weeks, eight weeks, ten weeks, okay, uh, and then go up to the age of mature. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, um, and uh, yeah, exciting project. I'm looking forward for the results. Yeah. Yeah. That's I'm so excited that someone's doing that. It's Yeah, it's good. it's more, really, really more. It's more infos and um I hope I I would go but it's actually for me it's very uh, it's far away. Uh it's it's too far away to 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 go back and forth. Um, yeah. Hmm. 
one time would be easy, but they they really do it on a regular basis. So yeah, please. And I know Anybody we have German can. listeners because I just checked. I just checked our stats, and we have a lot of German uh, listeners from Germany. Okay, it's a so good it's a, in, an, in, an interesting download number. And if you know a breeder, tell your breeder to go and participate, please. Yes, awesome. Well, I think that that wraps up all our Patreon questions, right? I think the que- we are done with questions for this awesome. month, but you need to let us know about the fun fact. Right. <laughs> so it's time for our mini sewed fun fact. Um, and for today, it is the fun fact is um, a single hydrotherapy session can increase range of motion and stride length in Labrador retrievers diagnosed with elbow dysplasia. So basically, yes, it's only Labradors, but hopefully it it would expand to other breeds with elbow dysplasia. But it's really interesting. The fun fact is that we saw benefit with just one session. Um, And I bring this up because often one of the things I'm asked, especially these days where it can be hard to get into appointments um, and get into regular appointments, but, you know, people ask is, you know, doing hydrotherapy once a week or, you know, twice a month really worth it. And I would say from this paper showing benefits from even a single session that yes it is worth it to um get in when you can so yay that's the fun fact thank you so much to our patrons for submitting questions um you guys always make us think and i love it (laughs) i love looking things up and researching so um thank you so much for your questions we really appreciate you and i think i agree (laughs) i think that's it i think that's it for today so everyone we wanted to do a a short episode and it's yeah it's a mini set yeah oh yeah right it's a minute it's yeah very mini it's almost a length of a normal episode so yeah that's us always talking a lot yeah lots to say but But don't forget we're gonna sign off now so everyone remember save it it and stay in the game. game bye bye Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk Canine Fitness. If you enjoyed our podcast, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and online at www.letstalkcaninefitness.com. Want some bonuses? Support us on Patreon. Every month we will release a mini-sode exclusively from Patreon questions, plus other special bonuses you will find only on the Let's Talk Canine Fitness Patreon page. This episode was produced by Leslie Eide and Katerina Mattioli. 
Music written and performed by Moonfly. Music provided by premiumbeat.com.